3: And I'm Colleen Sterling. Welcome to Ask the AMPs from AOPA.
2: Ask the AMPs is where we try to address any and all maintenance questions that come our way. If you have a question, uh, reach us at podcasts at AOPA.org. That's podcasts at AOPA.org.
0: And if you like the show, subscribe on Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And keep an eye out for show notes starting with this episode.
2: And if you enjoy this podcast, you probably would also enjoy receiving our weekly maintenance stories by email. And you can do that by texting the word SAVVY, that's S-A-V-V-Y, to 33777. Just text SAVVY, S-A-V-V-Y, to Three three seven seven
3: seven. I'm still waiting for my Cessna to come back from the radio shop. Mm.
2: Wow, what have you done things? to all that? All that cool stuff.
3: Yeah, yeah. These things take time. So, I, I saw the engraving of my panel. It looks great. They had to put all those stupid placards on there saying "Don't fly above this speed" and "Don't bank more than this bank angle." But I guess that's legalese. So I'll, I'll just put stickies all over it. <laughs> Well, I was told to take the airplane to a shop because if I did it myself it would take too long and yes. it's taking too long. So, you know, I'm I'm a little peeved, but I I would not have gotten it done faster. So, yeah. I'm I'm excited. It's going to be like having a new airplane. Yeah. I mean, I've stared at that panel for 30 years, you know, it's just amazing to think that it's going to I'm, I'm my eyes are going to have trouble finding the information I used to be able to find.
0: Yeah, now it's all going to be right in the center instead of over yeah. on the right side of the
2: panel. What are you it's, putting in there, like fancy GTN TXI stuff?
3: No, EDM 930 and um, a, G, uh, a GNS 650 is replacing my 430. But yeah, the engine monitor is replacing a lot of primary instruments. So manifold pressure, fuel flow, oil temperature, oil pressure, everything. Um, I've, I've basically eliminated the whole bottom of the panel. So it's going to be like flying somebody else's airplane.
0: Yeah, I'm Very I'm cool. putting in a 500 TXI because I have no engine monitor or anything, haven't. And everything's going to be on basically on one screen. So it's going to be dead center, right in the middle. I won't have anything on the right side of the panel, except maybe where I clip my iPad. I don't know why I'm going to need an iPad, but it'll be there.
3: Well, that's where Helen puts the iPad to watch the cartoons. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is no, the Cherokee, right?
0: It, no, this is the Cirrus.
3: Oh, you're redoing the Cirrus. Well, did it they did, come with fancy panels right off the bat?
0: Not in 2002.
2: This is so depressing because I, I just upgraded the avionics in my airplane last year, and you guys are way ahead of me. So yeah, I'm, that's, I'm that's always behind. That's the nature behind. of the business. I'm just yeah. always behind.
4: The, the first
0: one to tell a story never has a chance. <laughs> you know. Helen Reed, she doesn't, she doesn't look out, she doesn't, you know. It, as long as I look calm, she's calm.
3: She could be watching like the movie Airplane while you're flying and <laughs> yeah, right. get a couple laps.
0: laughs. Or why <or fly> airplanes <laughs> crash.
3: We're all gonna die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah where everybody remain calm in that scene yeah. where everybody like freaks. Yeah, sort of Oh but it's funny my insurance is uh, renewing at the end of this month and it just occurred to me that I probably should tell my um broker that I'm making a major panel adjustment and I need to increase the insured value because absolutely it's the biggest step up I've ever had.
2: You haven't gotten a quote yet, have you?
3: No. I'm just I kind can't of curious wait.
2: what happened uh, to insurance rates over the last 12 months.
3: Last year it didn't change, this year it's going to change. Mm. Um,
2: not for the not for the better, I take it. No,
3: I'm holding my breath, and I'm almost don't want to tell them the, the, in, the improved value, but it, it behooves me to do the right thing. And yes, oh yeah,
2: for sure, yeah,
0: you definitely want to. You don't want to over insure it, you don't want to un, under insure it. You really want to ride on the money.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, I think I'm going to own an airplane valued at over a hundred thousand for the first time in my life. Scary. It is scary. Yeah, scary. We'll take good anyway. care of it. I will. I'm looking forward to flying it again. I miss, miss flying it.
0: So our next question is from Jeffrey, who uh, wants to minimize sticky valves. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey.
4: Hey, thank you very much for having me on. It's my pleasure. So I purchased the aircraft as 1964 Cessna 172 with the 0 0300 in it. I purchased it several years ago. Right after I purchased it, I noticed I had an issue with an engine miss. Um, I didn't do a very good pre-buy. I was a new AMP mechanic at the time, so I thought I knew what I didn't know. And so that turned out sad. So I had an engine, <laughs> uh, um, an engine miss. Turned out being a stuck-open number four exhaust valve on the number four cylinder. There was a lot of carbon buildup around it, so we pulled that cylinder, cleaned the valve up, reamed the valve guide out, reinstalled everything, Started flying the airplane, and about 10 hours after doing all that work, the rocker arm on that same exhaust number four rocker arm broke. Um, I had to declare an emergency and go into a near airport. So my question is, I've fixed or I've installed a new rocker arm and a new wrist pin. So my question is, how do I keep this from ha- possibly happening? Was this just a, by chance? And then also, when I went to start measuring my valve lash on my cylinders, I Noticed that all of my cylinders, the valve lash was way out of the overhaul limits. Uh, the overhaul limits was 30 to 110,000ths, if I remember right. And I'm reading, I'm getting between about 130, 40,
2: 70, and I have one as much as 222,000. You're talking about the dry tappet clearance, yes, sir.
0: So, one, one thing that gets me is you said you replaced the rocker arm, but have you done anything to address why the rocker arm broke? like the sticky valve that apparently caused the rocker arm
3: to break. Well, they reamed the valve, he said.
2: Right they reamed but, the val- valve. Oh, oh, you did ream the guide. Somehow I right, missed that. But, Sorry. But, but the rocker arm was probably overstressed by the stuck valve. Normally, it, it's, it's, it's the push rod that bends, because it's usually the weakest link in the chain. But it sounds like in this case, uh, the rocker arm took the brunt of the, of the stuck valve. Did you did you did you have a, a a bent push rod, or did you pull a push rod out and check it for straightness?
4: The push rod was still straight.
2: Okay.
0: You checked the ends of the push rod to make sure they weren't mushroomed or damaged in any way.
4: I looked at them; they looked fine, I didn't see signs of damage or mushrooming on the tips of them.
2: Okay, we just want to make sure you looked. Yeah. Well, of course, you know if the drive tappet clearance is is over the the maximum spec and. That's a very wide spec. It's you know wide enough to drive a truck through. But if if the dry tra- tappet clearance is is greater than the maximum allowable, the, the way you have to fix that is to install a, a a longer push rod. And typically those push rods come in in, in a bunch of different lengths, and you need to uh, uh, install a longer push rod. And I, I'm wondering if the if the dry tappet clearance was excessive, that would sort of suggest that. That, that there was probably going to be hammering in the valve train because the uh, the lifter couldn't snug the push rod up against the uh, against the rocker even at max maximum extension so it, it may be that whoever installed the cylinders didn't didn't get the dry traffic clearance right at installation and and so there may have been kind of long-term, over stress on the on the valve train components because of that
3: so he's wondering should he worry about his other cylinders well
2: um, you know i it, it, if you want to really be in an abundance of caution which in a single engine airplane is always a good idea you might want to consider well first of all you, you almost have to consider replacing the push rods with longer ones but you might want to consider while you're at it replacing the the uh, the the rockers just
3: and checking the clearance on the other valves. I mean, so. I know I know in my airplane
2: when I had one piston come apart and I knew that I had eleven <laughs> other pistons that came from the same batch. I replaced them all. <laughs> so, thirty
0: year thirty year old pistons.
2: Yeah, they were ancient. <laughs> <laughs> they were. They had thirty three hundred hours on them, but it may be that somebody was talking to you when that when that rocker uh, broke to say, hey, maybe you should consider changing the other ones.
0: I was just going to say, I would probably want to check the the wobble on the other valves as well. It's a pretty easy check to do. It's one of the few cases where, well, if one of them is sticking, the other ones are possibly thinking about it, and it's a simple enough thing to do to check, that would give you a lot of confidence in that the other ones aren't right behind it.
3: But uh, it sounds like Mike is thinking that the broken rocker arm wasn't exactly related to the stuck valve. It had to do with the extra lash, and that's uh, endemic throughout the engine, not just that one cylinder. So yeah, probably
0: all p- played together, for sure. I don't
3: know. It looks like he's got some work to do on this engine. Yes,
0: yeah. You need to do some <laughs>
3: investigating.
2: And being a new AMP, yeah. this is great experience. Yeah. Excellent yeah. experience. Yeah,
3: especially because it's your butt. <clears throat> it's your butt on the line.
2: <laughs> but by the way, I you know I can't let. Let it go. That when you had the the stuck valve episode, un- unless the valve was stuck so hard that that you couldn't, you know, tap it out with a hammer or something like that, you really don't have to remove the cylinder in order to ream the valve guides. You oh can no, do that with the cylinder in place. So, and we don't we don't particularly like removing cylinders if you don't have to.
0: Have you ever heard of the rope trick?
2: I have, yes, sir.
0: Okay, yeah, you can. If you go to, to my website, I, I wrote an article about it. It's not real detailed, but if you've not seen it done before, it it's a real simple thing to do, and it's
2: kind of cool that you can do that. We, so, don't, we don't want an article, Paul. We want a video.
3: Come on. Get with uh, it. That's <laughs> an IT-challenged guy You're <laughs> we talking to there.
4: <laughs> so I should definitely look into um, the cleaning up the, um, the dry lifter clearances with longer push rods and then possibly look into the valve wobble test as well as should I remount the other valve guys
2: just to be safe? If they Well, it depends on the results of the wobble
0: test. Yeah, what what we started doing back in the day when we first started doing a lot of wobble chests on Lycoming's, uh, we had a a freight company that had a a fleet of Cherokee Sixes. And we did this uh, the wobble check probably one or two a month on different engines. So we got really fast and quick at doing it machined our own tools to do it and all that. And what we finally discovered was it was a waste of time because a wobble test will tell you if the valve guide has bell-mouthed so that the valve is wobbling, or that if there's too much material that has collected in the guide that cinches down on the valve. And that's usually what you have. We never found any bell-mouthed guides, but we found a lot of them that were stuck. Even after just a hundred hours of flying, you would have to drive the valve out of place. So we quit doing the wobble test, and we would just drive all the valves out, run the reamer through, put the valve back in. You didn't care because on those Lycoming's, it was a half-inch or .499 thousandths reamer, and you'd run it through. You weren't reaming the guide. You never touched the guide. There's no metal that came out. Uh, You only got debris uh, out of
2: the valve guide. Never well, there never any metal. There actually was metal. It came out, Paul, but it was lead. It, wasn't, <laughs> it was,
3: yeah. <laughs> it wasn't right. not what you expected. <laughs> nickel <It> was,
2: alloy. <laughs>
3: yeah, it was
0: all that all that crud that had hardened into the valve guide. But, yeah. So to to be correct, we didn't remove any valve guide material. We just returned it to its original proper diameter. And about every 400 hours, we'd have to do that. Never had any stuck valves after that.
3: The, the wobble test requires you to set up a dial indicator, I think, to measure the actual wobble, and that takes time. So Paul's just saying, drop the valve, ream it out, put it back in, go to the yeah. next one. I mean, You're it's done. bang, bang. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Okay. Well, thank you very much.
3: Yeah. Good to have you, Jeffrey. Yeah. Good luck. Our next question is from Charlie, who's trying to square the mystique of oversquare. Welcome to the show, Charlie.
1: Thank you. Your explanation I guess tells the story that i'm uh, I'm into oversquare operations of an engine. I've read Mike Bush's book and I think he is also into it and he lists a number of good reasons for flying oversquared but no bad reasons and uh, I guess really my question uh, is are there negatives to oversquare operations uh, spark plugs uh, how low can I reduce the uh, the mixture? Any detonation, power problems? Uh, I can't find discussed anywhere. Any negatives to over square ops? And that's my question.
2: Well, if if you're operating over square within the envelope that the engine manufacturer authorizes, I think there is no downside whatsoever. It's all upside. Well, that's kind of what I've determined also. But there's sure a lot of arguments out there. You can't do it. Well, that's 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 what my flight instructor taught me. Back in yep. the, the mid '60s, yep. uh, yep. when I first got my first controllable pitch airplane, I bought a Cessna 182, and he told me never ever, you know, let the RPMs get below the manifold pressure; you'll blow up the engine.
0: That's what my dad and, taught me too,
2: <laughs> and I and I and I believed that for a while until I actually researched it and discovered that that's not even what Continental or Lycoming says. So, and I've I've been a outspoken advocate of of oversquare operation ever since. It's it's just a a better way to run the engine. And of course, people said that about Lena Peak operation too. Gee, if you do that, you're gonna blow up the engine. And it turns out it's the best thing you can do for an engine. So
0: here's a suggestion, Charlie. If you contact Lycoming, they have engine owner manuals. Are they owner operations manuals? I forget now what they're called. I have a whole stack of them Is on it, my shelf. I think it's the operator's manual. manual operator's yeah. manual, yeah. Yep. Get one of those for your engine. And it will tell you right in there exactly how you can run it. And it includes running, they don't use the term over square because it's not a thing. The fact that 2,400 RPMs happens to start with the same two digits as 24 inches of manifold pressure. (laughs) The two are totally unrelated. They have nothing, it doesn't, it's two. If you were using, instead of inches of manifold pressure, if you were using, if you were in, you know, using yeah. a metric Hecto scale,
3: Pascals or something. Yeah, yeah. Or something right. like
0: that. It, it wouldn't mean anything. So, but check out one of those books. It's very interesting. And it'll also, there'll be graphs in there that will show where uh, the best economy is 40 degrees lean and peak. They don't want you to know that, but they have it in print. So I have them for my engines on my Twin Comanche that were printed in 1970. And it shows 40 degrees lean and peak is the most, the best economy spot.
2: You should get the manual, the operator's manual for your engine. But if memory serves, I think for the IO 360s s, Lycoming authorizes it's it's some somewhere on the order of of four inches over square is where the boundary line is on that. It's in the form of a of a chart in the book, which shows you combinations of manifold pressure and and RPM. And and it, it actually defines an envelope in which the engine is authorized to be operated. And my recollection is that, that, that Lycoming authorizes something like four inches over square for that engine. But don't but don't take my word for it. Okay. I, I have a chart
1: for the O three twenty.
2: And mm-hmm. I believe it
1: shows, you know, twenty four manifold pressure and down to nineteen on the RPM. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah,
3: that which sounds would be good.
2: five inches, yeah.
1: And I guess the big question
0: is is how far back can I lean it
3: till it dies? Right. <laughs> yeah, it runs great till it quits. Yeah, yeah if, it, if it
2: if it quits, you went too far.
3: Seriously, yeah.
2: No, but I mean, you 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 can lean it to the onset of roughness, and then richen it until it's acceptably smooth again, and you're
3: good. And, and usually for me, it's, it's how much performance do you lose? You're, you're trading off performance and temperature, so there's some kind of happy place there where it feels good and, and you still have a reasonable amount of speed, unless you're not in a rush.
2: Yeah, there's no free lunch in aviation. Everything's a trade-off. Right? <laughs> yeah. A series of compromise.
3: Go ahead, oh, Charles, go ahead. I was
2: going to say,
1: one other argument that I have used with, the, with CFIs is that most fixed-pitch aircraft, let's talk Cessna 150s, at lower altitudes, that on takeoff, they're well over square.
0: Every airplane on takeoff (laughs) is over square.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Because the
0: maximum RPM, on well, there are some 210s out there that run at 2850, uh, depending on the engine they have. But almost everything is 2700 if you take off at sea level.
3: Okay. Well, great question, Charlie. And uh, we'll keep beating those myths to death and see if they'll eventually go away. So... Thank you for uh, dialing in with us.
0: Thanks for your help. You bet. Enjoy, Charlie.
3: Our next question is from Michael, who apparently has already drunk the Kool-Aid and bought his own borescope, and he has some questions. Welcome to the show, Michael.
5: Oh, thank you, Colleen. It's a real pleasure to be here and to chat with you. I've been really enjoying the podcast. So a year ago, I became an airplane owner, and I bought okay. a 1990 uh, Mooney M20J, and so it has an IO360, of course, and it has 2,200 hours since new on the airplane and the engine. That is measured by Hobbs hours until recently. So, but you know, one way or another, it's not a new engine, and uh, it's you know either close to or past TBO based on how you measure. But I'm good with that. I'm fine doing maintenance on condition. I've learned a lot about that. And so I'm keeping a very close eye on it. I'm doing oil analysis. I'm carefully checking the oil filter and the oil screen uh, when I'm doing oil changes and installed an engine monitor uh, last fall. And lastly, I fly it every week. So trying to keep it in good shape, keep a real close eye on things. we're not gonna have anything to talk about.
3: I know, this sounds perfect.
5: He's he's doing everything right. This is no fun at
3: all. You're (laughs) the (laughs) poster child.
5: So far, but so I bought a borescope and i read everything i could find uh including of course aopa's great poster on exhaust valves and other things and everything seems to talk mostly about exhaust valves and scoring on the cylinder walls this kind of stuff i've not found anything that talks about what what do you do if you find some oil in the cylinder and of course what's the first thing that happened when i stuck this borescope into a cylinder number one i saw a little bit of oil down there and um I've done this two or three times now, and I've found oil in three out of the four cylinders. So my question is, how much is too much? How much is okay? What might you do about it? And when would you consider doing something about it?
2: Do do you uh, experience any significant problem with oil fouling of spark plugs when you're doing a run-up and stuff?
5: No. Then don't worry about it. Yeah. (laughs) Yep.
3: Yeah. Do you run fine wire plugs or massive plugs?
5: I do have fine wire plugs.
3: That's maybe helping you quite a bit. Yeah.
5: You got to have some oil in those cylinders. Well, and <laughs> and and, and yeah, when you're
2: you're seeing this oil, the oil in the cylinders after the the engine's been sitting for a while,
5: correct? That's correct. Yes. Uh, if I stick the borescope in shortly after shutdown, I might not see any. But then, if I come back a couple days later, I'll mm-hmm. see some. And in one case, in fact, I, I noticed that the bottom, maybe 10% or so, of the exhaust valve appeared wet.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see that pretty commonly, and it doesn't seem to, to, to indicate any, any, uh, any serious problem. Uh, interestingly, uh, I fly a, a Cessna 310, uh, which is a twin, and the engines, which are wing-mounted, are, are, are angled just a little bit because of the dihedral of the wing, and so when I do borescope on on my airplane, the inboard cylinders always have oil pedaling because they're the ones that are pointed downhill, and the outboard ones never have oil puddling. So, don't worry about it. Yeah, my twin Comanche was that way.
3: So I had I had your exact engine on my Cardinal, and I had about eighteen hundred hours, and I started to have oil in the cylinder. The hottest cylinder, which on my engine was a number three was experiencing some odd issues. It was uh, always running hot, and what eventually happened is when things get really fouled up with oil, the oil gets hot. The oil control ring, which is one of the rings that wipes the oil off the walls of the cylinder when the piston moves up and down, actually jammed in the groove or the land of the piston, and it broke. And when it broke, it was letting even more oil through. And I started to see things that looked like detonation, mild detonation. I'd be flying along and all of a sudden I'd get a slight drop in EGT and my CHT would start going north and I'd have to add more fuel and open the cowl flaps and stuff. And when I eventually pulled, and, and like homing and JPI, nobody could tell me what was going on when I sent them my data. When we eventually pulled the cylinder, out came the piston and the oil control ring was in nine pieces. And all we did is cleaned up the cylinder, put a new ring in, put it back in. So if it gets really messy, Lycoming like says the presence of oil in the combustion chamber, they say it has the effect of lowering the octane rating of the fuel and will cause your temperatures to go up in sort of approaching a detonation type thing. But that's very far advanced. You'd be surprised how many aircraft are flying out there right now with oily cylinders because if you think about it, a cylinder is a wear item and it's meant to be replaced don't replace the engine, just replace the cylinder. Put a new cylinder on, and you're good to go. And all your cylinders sound like they're original and they're getting a little worn. And so there's less sealing against the side of the cylinder between the piston and the cylinder, and that oil is just seeping in. But it doesn't sound like it's very bad at all. So until you start having difficulty starting the engine or it looks like you've got, you know a smoke system in your airplane because, You've got a little oil in the poor man's smoke system. I think you're just going to be fine.
0: I'm so totally impressed that you were watching your engine closely enough that you noticed the changes in the EGT-CHT and then did something about it in flight.
3: uh, Oh, gosh. Well, uh, the first couple times it started to happen, I could smell the engine being too hot. And that cylinder was going through 415, 420. And it was going fast. So I had to do something. Yeah, it was very dramatic. And um, I, I let it go like that for maybe six or eight months. And then finally just said, I can't fly like this. And nobody could tell me what was wrong. I didn't know Mike back then, or I would have sent him my data. But
0: that's pretty cool. Now we all know.
3: Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. So that's very far along. I think, like I said, it was 1,800 hours on that cylinder. And it had been hot, like above 400 for quite a while. So oil eventually gets sticky and icky at that temperature and then becomes hard and then sticks to everything around it.
5: Great. Well, that's, that's very helpful. And uh, I'm blessed with some combination of great baffling and a good cowling and, and resultingly great cylinder head temperatures. Like well, 350 even is kind of unusual for me. I,
3: I think it's just a Mooney. It goes so fast that, you know.
5: just kidding. Oh, no.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're very fortunate. That's wonderful.
2: It outruns the heat. <laughs> 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 Love it. But what is it? If you're, if
0: you're going faster than sound, it's yeah, so faster than heat. There's got to be a term for that. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Well, great question. And it sounds like you're doing everything right, Michael. So keep doing it.
5: <laughs> Good <laughs> Thank job. Right. Thank yeah. you so much.
3: Thank you for calling in.
0: All right. So our next question is from Todd. who's building an RV 14. Very cool. Todd, what's going on today?
6: Hey guys, I'm uh, working on the firewall forward components and uh, planning it out. You know, you get in the forums and you find all these people saying every direction that you should do and what you shouldn't do. And some of the things I stumbled on was the uh, air oil separator and then a, uh, like a vacuum crankcase vacuum for the breather line. And then after reading I think it was one of Mike's books or one of the podcasts and heard him mention that uh, his opinion, the air oil separator was like taking a tube to your rear end of your mouth. I decided that's probably not the best decision on my brand new motor. Um, <laughs> but I was wondering about hooking the breather line, you know, and tapping into the exhaust and to draw a vacuum if there was any Whoa. Uh, worry there, negatives, positives. or Because uh, that anti-splat sells a kit. That's pretty simple to to make that work. So... So
0: in my world of certified airplanes, we would never even consider such a thing. The crank case is building low pressure, but it's not huge. Uh, the vent tube is really all you need. I'm not sure why you would want to put a vacuum on it. What's the, uh, what's the theory behind
6: that? Well, according to the, the people who make the kit, that they said that drawing that vacuum reduces the pressure. I mean, not a lot, but a little bit on the bottom side of the, the piston. So you're going to create a little more horsepower, but... I think it would. Oh, yeah, was, uh, get it. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it, it might help keep the belly a little cleaner by pumping all the breather line into the exhaust tube correctly and then and then burning it out.
2: Unfortunately, I'm not familiar with uh, aerosplat or whatever Anti-splat. Get it right. <laughs> uh, where does this vacuum come from? The exhaust. Uh, the exhaust. The the exhaust. Bernoulli yeah. effect. I think it's like they say.
6: It's more the. Uh, the change in um, just the combustion, change the pressure the change right. in pressure from the exhaust valve more than the actual bernoulli, but
3: so I actually read the website and and they they say they they claim to give you five or six inches of um, vacuum in the case by plumbing the exit into the uh, someplace on the exhaust, and from talking to other rV owners that straight out exhaust the actual pressure in the exhaust changes dramatically from where it first comes in and then where it exits out. So you'd have to be very uh, knowledgeable of where you're actually going to put it in the exhaust. And I'm not really sure they've done that mapping. So that's the first pitfall. Actually, positive crankcase ventilation has been used in cars for quite a while. That's what a PCV valve is. And if you look at, I mean, all cars have PCV valves these days, and they actually, instead of picking it off the exhaust, they pick um, that off the intake manifold. They do it a little bit different than what um, anti-splat is um, recommending. Exhaust systems, I mean, if you think about it, those pressures are normally much higher than ambient. And particularly when the aircraft is supercharged, that becomes a bigger concern. I I don't suppose you're putting a supercharger on your 14.
2: What is the objective here? Why are we we doing this?
3: A clean belly. He's looking to keep the oil in the airplane. To to
2: me, that is just so wrong <laughs> you know if my if, if my engine is starting to to blow oil out the breather i want to know about it because cause it means that there's something that that needs to be looked at and to to conceal that by putting it back in the engine one way or the other is a mistake and the and, and you know the other the other thing is you know i would rather see it if if you if you have to do something with it, i would rather see it go into the exhaust and be burned up than, than pump back into the crankcase because it's all full of acids and nasty stuff. But frankly, I would rather see it on the belly so that I can see what the engine's doing. Yeah, and I can't imagine an RV14 with an IO390
0: needs an extra quarter of a horsepower. Or whatever you might get from
2: this. Yeah, so. <laughs> that, that doesn't <laughs> seem that doesn't even seem yeah, plausible. That, yeah, that, that was an interesting right. claim. You know, the one thing that, that I I wouldn't really have a problem with, and, and I don't know why nobody does this, is if you put an air oil separator on but had the effluent from the separator go into a catch jar as opposed to going back into the engine. Then you could inspect it. You could see what's coming out. You could see what quantities coming out. You'd have to periodically empty the the catch jar. Would just be a, an additional pre-flight item. Putting it back in the engine is is not a great idea. Burning it up in the exhaust. I know the the Tornado Alley turbo installation on the um, Cirrus. In fact, in fact, I think it, this may also be true of the SR twenty two T. Does plumb the breather into the exhaust overboard pipe where it gets burned, burned up as opposed to coming out as liquid.
3: A lot of uh, aerobatic airplanes have a tube that goes all the way down to the tail and lets the uh, overflow of the inverted system go out, but not get on the airplane. It just goes off the tailwheel basically in the back. But that's a long tube through the airplane. You might not have that real estate for that.
2: Anyway, I would I would rather if, if the engine if the engine is is blowing a bunch of oil out the breather, I'd kind of like to, to know.
3: <laughs> yeah. The anti splat um, system actually has an automotive PCV valve, it looks like from the picture as part of the system. And if cars with PCV valves still leak a lot of oil, I don't know where the oil, you know, if maybe it's improving the breather is situation, but it's not
2: What is it? It's a PCV valve just a check
3: valve or something? What, yeah. what does it do? Okay. Yeah, it keeps the
2: I mean, I've heard of it. I just never worried about what was inside of one because I don't work in cars. Yeah. You know, cars are way too complicated. We're used to real simple <laughs> engines. Yeah. You know.
3: Or gliders. <laughs> or,
2: or gliders,
6: yeah. Yeah, Paul does the glider, yeah. So you don't think the claim of the extra horsepower is, is reasonable? Um, it,
0: I don't believe, no. It doesn't make sense to me because if you have pressure in the crankcase, you have pistons that are going up and down and it's all balanced. So the the, the total volume in the total crankcase doesn't, doesn't really change. change exactly so if you put a lower pressure or higher pressure i'm not i'm not a physicist i took a physics mm-hmm. class maybe two or three but anyway whether you have high pressure or low pressure i don't think it changes the push on the pistons
2: Great. i mean th- if you think about it suppose supposing you, you you hook the crankcase to some massive air pump that you know that Created a huge vacuum in there just as a as a as a thought experiment that would assist the pistons during the power stroke but but it would be fighting you uh during during the compression stroke so I just i can't see how net net's going to make any difference yeah if, okay
3: you know if you want you can always add it later but i, I Get the airplane finished. Don't keep adding bells and whistles to it. That's, you know, stay on target, Luke. <laughs> Finish,
6: yeah. go fly, then yeah. do stuff.
3: Yeah, well, I that, know so many was, builders. That was my
6: plan because you can add it, you know, it's very easy to drill the hole, add it later. And then yeah. if I wanted to do it, then I'd have some data ahead of time of what the plane would do versus.
3: Good point. So I like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Do
0: th- and by the time you get flying, our hope is that you'll say, I'm too busy flying to go do that. So <laughs> yeah. I'll leave it like this.
6: Yeah, I mean, that's a very strong possibility after three years of building, so. Excellent. Well, Todd, thanks for being
0: on the show. Good questions. We enjoy
6: that. Thank you. No, I appreciate it, guys.
3: Okay, so next up is Nate, who's wondering if he did the right thing having his engine overhauled. Nate, tell us your story.
7: Okay, it's a, a 1973 P Model 182. I'm the third owner. The previous owner or family had it from 79 to 97, or no, to 2018, but they have not flown it since 96 or 97. We're hoping the engine would run, you know, a year or two before my budget would come up with. But in the process of uh, chasing a leak on a valve cover, which was going to be a simple afternoon fix. Pull the valve cover off, and it's just full of metal shards, which I believe you've seen the picture.
3: It's a great picture, yeah.
7: And um, and scary picture. That was the end of that. We did have a couple of oil samples, which I hope Ian forwarded to you.
3: Yep, we've seen those. And I don't
7: know what the detectives there in your eyes see. But uh, anyway, so we, we opted to just send the engine off and have it completely major overhaul to, at Western Skyways, because that's just right next door in Colorado. And
4: um,
7: But what would you guys have done?
0: But did you do anything to find out what the metal was from? Did you send it off for analysis to see what part of the engine it came from?
7: No, it, it stuck to the magnet really well, and it was all right there in the <laughs> valve cover.
0: And just in the one valve cover?
7: Just in the one valve cover.
0: Yeah.
7: So it had to be from, the. I mean... The a rocker shaft looked pretty scarred up. I could get you a picture of that if I knew how.
0: No. So, when they did the engine, and by the way, Western Skyways, great place uh, to send the engine. Did they do a teardown report? Did they report what they found when they took it apart?
7: They did, but it's not at the top of my mind right now.
0: So, I, I would have.
7: It, yeah, I'm, I'm unprepared to answer that particular question. <laughs> Well I know they had to get new rocker arms because the ones we had in there were old enough; they didn't have an oil hole in the right place, and the through holes were not quite.
0: So, well, I would have started, and not that you made a bad decision. So, you know, we're we're not going to give you a hard time with that. Earlier in the show, we might might have, but we're (laughs) but we're we're getting tired. (laughs) We're getting tired. So, (laughs) I would have analyzed what was found to see what component it came from depending on what it came from, then I would determine what action I might take. Pulling a cylinder, you don't learn much more from pulling a cylinder than you do from putting a borescope down in it. So if I was concerned that it was something in the cylinder, which by the way, it probably wouldn't be because things inside the cylinder have a really hard time getting into the rocker cover area. Things in the rocker cover area are gonna come from uh, push rods and from the oil lines, you know, the oil supply to it, or from in the rocker cover area itself. It's entirely possible that could have been some bunch of something from, you know, very localized. I would have run a borescope down in the oil filler tube. You can see a good chunk of the camshaft, several lifters, get an idea of, of what it looked like in there. But that's at least where I started. I might have ended up in the very same place, but my level of curiosity would have gotten the best of me and at least if I sent it off, I would have asked the guys at Western Skyways, look, this is what I found. While you're taking it apart, see if you can tell me what this came from. Because that's enough stuff. There would have been a hole in something, you know. I mean, they would have seen what it came from. They probably know, but if you didn't ask, they may not have thought you wanted to hear.
7: Now, the, their disassembly report and all that, I don't have possession of that in front of me. But we did take a tour through their facility and we got to see mm-hmm. our engine in pieces. And we talked to a gentleman there who was knowledgeable. He, he seemed to think, and, and we showed him our film can full of oh, good. shreds or whatever you call those things.
0: Yeah. Shrapnel.
7: Shrapnel. <laughs> um, he seemed to think they probably came from uh, the springs right there in the valve cover.
0: Right. Yeah. If, if they came from the springs, which is very likely. You could have replaced those springs, borescoped the rest of the engine, and been flying the same engine right now. I told myself I wasn't gonna say something like that. I'm sorry, I apologize.
3: What, what's the wear mechanism, Paul, to generate metal that looks like whiskers for people that can't see it from the springs? How does that yeah, happen?
7: Uh, uh, they're, they're big. They, they, they didn't come through any oil galley or passageway yeah. to get right. into the valve yeah. cover. They had to be produced at the end there somewhere.
0: Well, if something gets out of alignment. You have two springs, and an inner spring and an outer spring can be working against each other and start tearing each other apart. There's probably several things that could happen to cause that. Those are really thick pieces, not only thick but they're long as well. That's yeah. I, that's not going to come floating in through an
2: oil gallery. Yeah, I, I had real mixed feelings about this because on one hand, you know, when when we're dealing with uh, an engine making metal, uh, I often fall back to the, to the Lycoming guidance on that, which is very, very detailed. Uh, And even on a continental engine, I tend to use the Lycoming guidance and that, that guidance says, you know, generally don't panic unless there's an awful lot of metal, but their definition of an awful lot of metal is if there's a half a teaspoon then you need to tear the engine down. And it looked to me like you had to have, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I I, I don't think I have ever <laughs> seen a half a teaspoon of metal coming out of an engine before I saw your photographs, but that was a huge amount of metal. On the other hand, my, my second thought was the only place that metal could have come from was that rocker box area on that cylinder because, you know, like you said, it was too big to come from anywhere else. I mean, it couldn't have, Come up that pushrod tube because it wouldn't have ever made it through the lifter. I mean, not even close. It it had to originate from that rocker box. So, you know, the Lycoming guidance really has to do with how much metal you find in the filter or the suction screen. But you didn't find them. You didn't. That's not where you found the metal. You found the metal up right up in the in the rocker box area. It had to come from there. It's kind. It would be kind of interesting to know once you disassembled the the valve train and took the rocker off and the springs off and stuff whether the the underlying aluminum that the springs were sitting on was all gouged up or something which would require the cylinder be replaced or whether the damage was was simply confined to you know the pieces that you remove the valve springs and the rocker and the rocker shaft and so on but it almost had to come from from that rocker area
7: yeah, I I agree. That's it's all right there, but then in, in my mind I was just thinking, well, if we get this one cleaned up, then the other cylinder that's also been on there since seventy three.
2: Yeah, that that's obviously a concern. Because that whatever failure you had, it's very unusual. We don't see that that amount and size of metal in rocker box covers for right. very often. And well, and we don't look for it either.
0: That's,
7: yeah. you know, that's not a part so, of the yeah. an annual Well, well you, didn't have, you didn't have to look for this. It would have smacked
2: you upside of the head, you know.
3: Okay, well.
2: Nate, thank you. All right, thank you. It's, it's a good discussion.
3: Thank, yeah, yeah, Nate, thanks very much. That was really interesting. And um, it happens to many people beyond you. So I'm sure a lot of people will uh, find a good discussion. So I hope the new engine works out for you.
7: Yeah, I'm sure it will. Enjoy it. Nice when we're done. Okay.
3: Yeah. Okay. Take care.
7: Thank you. Bye. See ya. Bye.
3: -bye. Well, that wraps up another show. You do realize that we all know a lot more about maintenance than podcasting, so we'd love to hear from you. Give us your ideas on what you would like us to talk about. Send your questions and comments to podcasts at AOPA.org. Fly safely and have fun, and we'll see you next time. See ya.
2: Bye everybody.